When it comes to building and financing stronger businesses, Apollo does the heavy lifting by providing customized capital solutions to drive innovation and growth. Apollo, investing in tomorrow, today. Learn more at Apollo.com. By the spring of 2019, Uber had come through controversies and boardroom battles. Now it was finally ready for its public debut. The company had a big target in mind, $120 billion. That was the valuation Uber and its bankers were hoping to hit when the company priced its IPO. It would make Uber one of the world's largest stocks virtually overnight. But the company was missing a key ingredient, profits. And after years of giving startups free reign, investors were suddenly wary of endless losses. The timing for Uber's IPO couldn't have been worse. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback from Barron's. This season, we're winding back the clock and unraveling the stories of the companies behind the biggest and most fascinating IPOs to answer a key question. How do we put a price on innovation? Today on the show, Uber spent a decade going full speed. The IPO was an unexpected roadblock. When Uber executives finally rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange on May 9, 2019, the company was already a grizzled veteran of scandal. CEO Dara Khosrowshahi sat down with CNBC the morning of the IPO, and his tone reflected that. What a heck of a couple of weeks you've been involved in over this roadshow, and on a very personal level, how have you felt about this? I am excited to be here. It's been the culmination of the work of hundreds of people at the company, so it's just good to get it done, and I'm looking forward to going back to building. Consumers knew Uber better than most of the companies that were already public and investors knew the ins and outs of the company's financials. Uber had already been valued at $68 billion by private investors, including venture capitalists, mutual funds, and even Saudi Arabia's giant investment fund. This was an IPO where very little felt new. If IPOs usually offer hope and unlimited opportunity, the Uber listing was something different. It was the inevitable conclusion of a massive company that had done amazing things, but also came with huge amounts of baggage. Even Facebook, as we talked about last week, offered some element of surprise when it went public. Compared to Uber, Facebook was still relatively early in its market opportunity. Mike Isaac, the New York Times tech reporter who we heard from in last week's episode, also covered Uber's IPO. He even wrote a book about the company, Super Pumped, The Battle for Uber. They probably might have had a successful IPO had it come much earlier, basically, just because I think a lot of folks, especially the public markets, just felt... This company's not profitable. It doesn't seem to be profitable in the near term. And we don't have the same faith that, you know, unprofitable companies can just be as highly valued as you think they're being in in the public markets. It's probably no coincidence that right around Uber's IPO, investors started talking about startups' path to profitability. For Uber, this path was looking windy and narrow. For years, no one thought much about profits on IPO day. But Uber changed that in a hurry. Uber emerged in a unique time. The smartphone was changing the way we lived. New 4G networks had made us fully mobile. And there was more money than ever being thrown at companies trying to take advantage of it all. In the 1990s, Uber would have come up with its ride-sharing idea, signed a few people up, and then gone public. It would have all happened in two years or less. But in the post-financial crisis version of Silicon Valley, things happened very differently. 
The ideas were just as big, if not bigger. And so was the money. It just wasn't coming from the public markets. Within three years of being founded, Uber had already raised $61 million. Much of that came before the company even launched its app. By August of 2013, nearly six years before it would go public, Uber was already valued at $3.5 billion. Founder Travis Kalanick had created a great company, and with essentially unlimited funds, he had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. Those plans didn't include an IPO. Here's Mike Isaac again. Travis Kalanick, the founder and former CEO, just never wanted to go public. Part of his whole thing was, I like this being a private company. I like having all this control over it. And he had no real intentions of taking the thing public at any point. Pretty quickly, though, Uber's private party got out of control. Without public shareholders, there was little holding the company and the CEO accountable. Little by little, Travis Kalanick was losing his grip on the company. Uber has crisis after crisis, whether it's their, you know, self-driving car stuff. Uber is pausing its autonomous car pilot programs in all of the cities in which it operates after a deadly accident in Arizona. Uber confirming to us that whether it's stealing IP. Google's parent company was suing ride-sharing giant Uber for allegedly stealing its self-driving vehicle trade secrets. Shortly after lawyers or, you know, the many different harassment things. In February, former engineer Susan Fowler wrote a blog post alleging repeated sexual harassment and sexism inside the 12,000-person company. CEO Travis Kalanick called the allegation... There became this question, is Travis going to leave? Is he not going to be the CEO any longer? And will there be a new CEO who's more friendly to, you know, basically cashing out all the many investors that are involved in Uber and taking this company public? Just last week, Uber CEO told employees that he would be taking a temporary leave to become the leader that this company needs and that you deserve. But this morning, under pressure, Kalanick announcing his departure is permanent. And there was a question of what an Uber IPO would look like and could it be successful as damaged as the company's reputation and things like that were. By August of 2016, a new round of investment had valued Uber at $68 billion. These were the types of numbers usually reserved for public companies. It was worth more than 85% of the companies in the S&P 500. But Uber was very much still private. This was all possible in a new world where private markets were awash in cash. There was no reason to go public when private firms, mutual funds, and even sovereign wealth funds like Saudi Arabia's were willing to give you billions of dollars in order to grow your business. There was just so much capital around. That's Al Root, who covers the automotive industry and much more for Barron's. It's the Vision Fund from SoftBank. It's private equity. I mean, there's so much money. I don't know if there was a period before this where you could get you know, tens of billions of dollars in private markets. So why not take it? And take it they did. Uber's founder and CEO, Travis Kalanick, had been able to grow Uber exactly how he wanted, with essentially no guardrails and very little accountability. There's no real public financial data that's put out there kind of in an honest and objective way. The company can share data points if they want and highlight the types of information that makes them look as good as possible. The ample cash and free reign enabled Uber's explosive growth. But it also led to the company's scandals, and ultimately the ouster of Kalanick. After being plagued by scandals, Uber is trying to get back on track with a new CEO. 
Expedia's CEO will take over Uber, which is currently being run by a 14-person group of managers and is without multiple top executives. The new CEO, Dara Khosrowshahi, was basically there to tap the brakes and try something of a reset. But he also had one mission, to finally take Uber public. Dara Khosrowshahi, the new CEO, this guy from Expedia, quote-unquote, the grown-up who's come to save Uber, clean it up, clean up its balance sheet, right? His whole thing was, we are going to bring fiscal responsibility to this company that traditionally has not really worried about it and kind of could feel like it raised money forever. And so throughout 2018, he sort of sets these goalposts uh, in public and says, look, we're looking to go public September 2019. This is our sort of like target date. Uh, we're going to start cleaning up our balance sheet because the whole thing's just a total mess. And, you know, it was pretty honest in that regard, like just saying we got to make some serious changes. And the company had to take a haircut on its huge valuation, at least temporarily. Shortly after Khosrow Shahi arrived, Uber took one more big round of funding, this time from SoftBank Group, which we'll talk about more this season. With SoftBank's money, Uber was now worth only $48 billion. But the company had some new corporate governance in place and a larger board of directors. An Uber IPO was back on track and all but inevitable. For all its issues, Uber was a dominant brand. It's why Dara Khosrowshahi took the job, after all. His pitch went something like this. We're not just a ride-hailing company. We have food delivery. We have Uber Freight, which is our long-haul trucking stuff. You know, this was back when scooters and bikes were a huge area of investment. And that was like what they call micro-mobility. It was an exciting new space. That's another thing we're doing. Commerce is actually weirdly something they were talking about a lot then. So he wanted to show that, you know, whatever your company likes to say, we're a platform or a platform for getting around the real world. And that was his pitch to investors. The bigger the platform, the bigger the IPO. Or so goes the thinking. By April 2019, Uber was ready to go public. Its roadshow, when a soon-to-be public company starts meeting with potential investors, had been years in the making. And Uber was going big. It wanted to be compared with the largest companies in tech. These companies, when they go on roadshows, they like to point to their comps, right? The companies that look the most like them. So Uber's line was, think of us as the next Amazon. Amazon was sort of skating profitability and was just sort of spending to keep growing for a long period of time. That's what Uber is doing. That's what we're trying to be. And don't basically don't hate on us if we lose money for a long period of time, because we're thinking about this as a long-term play as the next Amazon. Public investors already had their Amazon, and Uber's future as a profitable company was far from guaranteed. Unlike Amazon, it also had several rivals across the world. Both of those factors started to weigh on the huge valuation that Uber was hoping to achieve with its IPO. They're saying this is a $100 billion company, $120 billion company, and we're just getting started. So the aspirations were really high. And, you know, if you thought the private Uber was, you know, potentially overvalued, then you have no idea what the public Uber is going to look like. Sure enough, the math wasn't adding up for everyone. Even at a reduced price of around $80 billion, Uber was asking an awful lot. Here's Al Root again. It was just remarkable, the size and the value this thing came out at. 
Not surprisingly, the huge price tag just added to the scrutiny. The business model just wasn't as good as some other business models and hot IPOs of the past. And I think that people thought, oh, you know, Uber with its dominance and, and land grab and, and high market share would become sort of Google-like in terms of being a dominant provider of something that people can't live without. And, and I just don't think that the financials ever supported that. Unlike with many tech companies, investors were beginning to realize that scale wouldn't be a cure-all for Uber. While software firms usually get more profitable as they grow, Uber was different. Every ride it gave just increased its costs. That meant that a larger Uber wasn't necessarily a more profitable one. There's some level of faith, you know, okay, once they get big, profits will come. But for a while there, their losses were scaling with sales. They were just losing as much money in every ride, the bigger they got. And, and people started saying, ah, that doesn't seem like, you know, something's, something's up there. I think for a long time, this growth story really worked on people. Look at our user numbers and the money will come, right? Look at how much we're growing. Look at our market penetration. Look at how many new people we have coming in and we can worry about the money later. And that's like a foregone conclusion in the Valley, right? But I think Uber was the point at which public markets were like, I, you know, I don't buy that. Show me the money, right? Where's the actual profit going to come from? When Uber's public debut finally came in May 2019, investors were focused on this somewhat new idea for IPOs the so-called path to profitability. And without a clear path to profits, the IPO was kind of a bust. The company went public at $45 a share, giving it a value of $75 billion. It was still a big price tag, but not nearly what Uber had once hoped. Uber shares spent the next 18 months trading below their IPO price. The company's big vision suddenly seemed kind of limited. And then came COVID-19 and the near shutdown of it all. At least in the beginning, folks were wondering if it was a death blow for Uber. You know, I mean, their rides were tanking. No one's going anywhere, at least initially. This is a big problem. It kind of cut all of their future prospects in half. Fortunately for Uber, the company had a surprising move. Its role in food delivery had been growing quickly under Uber Eats. And now it was one of those vital stay-at-home businesses that was thriving. Late last year, the company acquired a rival player called Postmates. What had been a small sideshow was now helping to keep the company afloat. Late last year, as everyone grew more confident about a reopening, Uber's stock caught fire. In November, just as we got positive news on vaccine trials, Uber shares finally overtook their IPO price. And by February, the company had actually met that original target. Or not quite, but close enough. For one day, on February 10th, 2021, it was worth $117 billion. There was this period where we were euphoric about the business model, then we were despondent about the business model, then business execution got better. I feel like that's the, you know, like the seven levels of, of grief that we've gone through with Uber. Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadback at Thanks to Mike Isaac and Al Root. 
For more coverage on Uber, you can check out Barron's.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Meta Lutzhoff and Katie Ferguson. Melissa Haggerty is our executive producer. Next week on the show, how Peloton broke the IPO market and then came racing back. There was a lot of cynicism about it. And, you know, I'll count myself as one of those people saying, you know, $2,000 bikes, $4,000 treadmills, who's buying this? In 10 or 20 years, are we going to look back and think it was crazy that we ever went to physical bricks and mortar gyms? We'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.